Hello, and welcome to Good Questions, Real Answers. I'm Kimberly with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and this is Monty Judah, our director. We're so happy you joined us today. Monty, we have so many questions. Let's jump right in. All right. All right, our first question is from Sarah. She's new to the Messianic faith, and she has a question about Leviticus 12 and how we should keep those commandments today. Okay, Leviticus chapter 12 is dealing with the issue of after childbirth. And there's one requirement for a period of time, if it is a male child, it's 40 days. Mm -hmm. And in the case of a female child, it's 80 days. We have a very clear example in the New Testament when Mary and Joseph went into the temple after Yeshua had been born. It had waited 40 days, mm -hmm. and she had purchased the poor offering, the turtle doves, yes. to be presented in accordance with the commandment. It primarily has to do with purity going to the temple. It's not about the impurity of the person, the woman, for having given child, but it's about qualifying her to now go to the temple again. And so it's a specific requirement. That's a specific requirement about that. A lot of the laws in Leviticus about purity and impurity, they have to do with not going to the temple in a defiled manner, a mm -hmm. spiritual defilement manner. And that's what it's really primarily dealt. It's requirements for going before the Lord in the temple before his altar. And those are the requirements specified for a woman who gives birth, because at birth, you know, there's a lot of things that qualify in the impure thing. We have blood issues, mm -hmm. we have tissue issues, mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things are associated with childbirth. And so the Lord wants a separation period before you come before him again. Mm -hmm. it, it just goes hand in hand with, just think about the normal kind of thing. Even when you go to a family who has just recently had birth, there's a certain level of respect about before you go in before that person and how the child is treated mm -hmm. and all those things. Well, the Lord has a couple of rules for his house right. about how that's done. And if a person is going to the temple in a defiled manner, for example, if you go to the temple inebriated, that's you're defiling you're the temple. Right. So it's very inappropriate. So that's just one of the laws that has to do with the purity issues of defilement and going to the temple. And so the, would those then be some of those commandments that we say, if there's a temple in operation, yes. then the, those are the, the steps The applicability of the commandment is only after you have an operating temple with the priesthood and you're intending to go to the temple. Right. Right now, all of us are in a defiled state. There's a whole series of issues, but to tell you the truth, it's kind of a moot point because we don't have a temple. We don't have the priesthood operating. If we were to get that, well, then now these questions would arise and we would be giving instructions on the commandments to prepare us to be able to go to the temple. Great. Okay. So we hope that answers your question for that. And now we have a question from our longtime viewer, Robert. He has been researching online and found that the general consensus is that we are the 1,000th generation since Adam and wonders are we the last generation and what your thoughts are? Well, let me set aside the 1,000th generation. That's a chronology study. Mm -hmm. And there are many chronology studies of this type that look at things like that. He's not that far off, but just because it's 1,000 and it's a decimal system, mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a de definitive sign of the being the last generation. 
I would suggest to you the fact that we've come to the 6,000th year is a much more definitive sign because that's cited by the scripture. Uh, but are we the last generation? You know, I just wrote an article and it's going to be coming out in the March Yavo, mm -hmm. and which I address that subject uh, specifically. Let me go ahead. I'll give you a, a teaser for what the article a is preview. going to say. Yeah. yeah. A teaser for that is that I think there's enough evidence now that matches against what the Scripture says describes the last generation, that it is self-evident that we have to be the last generation. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty strong statement to make that, because yes. all of the previous generations before, some of them thought they were and they weren't. And I'm not saying the coming of the Lord. I'm not, I'm not predicting that. I'm saying that there's a lot of criteria that's going on in the world that's, that makes this generation totally unique from every generation in history, yes. and that the prophecies in describing the generation that would be when the Messiah returns, and, and so forth, that we match that description. And there's some very discreet details mm -hmm. of that that support it. So. When you read this article, I'm going to address and open that subject up and deal with the whole subject of... Let, let me just go this one step further with regard to this. Everybody's looking for the second coming. Yes. Everybody, you know, everybody's been talking about the second coming. They were talking about the second coming before I was born mm -hmm. and, yes. and before my grandparents and great-grandparents were born. Everybody's been anticipating this because the doctrine of the second coming is a part of our faith, and all believers uh, know about this. However, if you can't answer the question, are you the last generation? Are you the prophesied generation that he spoke of that would be at the end? If you can't definitively say your generation is it, then the subject of the second coming is just an academic eschatology discussion. Yes. It's something we know will happen. We, it's part of our faith. But it isn't anything that should have any measure of control on your life. But if you answer the question, yes, I believe we are the last generation, all of a sudden, all those other prophecies about what happens to the last mm -hmm. generation and the great tribulation of the coming of the Lord, all of a sudden, they become extremely important to you. Yes, indeed. And become very applicable to you. And so that's what the article really addresses. And, and yes, I'm saying that the, the evidence suggests, uh, and I've concluded, that we are the last generation. Therefore, it follows, we should be paying very close attention to all of the details going on in Israel, all of the prophecies that are associated with the Great Tribulation and the anticipation of it, the specific sign that Yeshua told us to watch for that would be the start of that. Simply said, there's going to be a great tribulation. After the great tribulation, the Lord comes. That's that's the doctrine of the second coming. Yes. So we're we're looking for those details now because we believe we are that generation that will see those things. Yes, I believe it too. Yes. So Robert, hopefully that answers your question. And please watch for the March Yavo edition to come out. And there will be many more answers for you in that article. And if you don't have a subscription to our Yavo magazine, please contact the ministry. It's a free magazine, comes to you once a month. You can get it digitally or in the paper version. So sign up for that so that you won't miss any of these important articles coming to you. Okay, now we have another question. 
This question is from a friend that's been watching for a, a while as well. He says, I have been hearing through certain statements that Israel is going to sacrifice the red heifer and cleanse the people to start sacrificing this coming Passover 2024. If this is the case, then we may see the shutting of it down soon after. But if that perhaps happens, then could this be the time when we'll come together at Sukkot? Uh, or do we wait until the next Sukkot? He's a little bit confused on the timing of that. Right. Okay. So let's, uh, let's sort out the confusion here. First of all, the sacrifice of the red heifer does not require an altar on the Temple Mount. It's done outside of the camp, actually. It's in a clean place. It says they'll build a pyre, uh, they'll put the heifer up on it, and they will consume it. It's a whole burnt offering down to the ash. Mm -hmm. And they collect the ash. Now, the ash of the red heifer is what's used for the waters of purification. And there are many who say, you've got to have this so that you can cleanse the priesthood so they can then do the altar service. The actual sacrifice that we're looking for that gets shut down, that is the start, the sign of the start of the Great Tribulation, is called the daily sacrifice. That is the, the sacrifice that's made where they have a lamb that is a whole burnt offering, along with a libation offering, some wine, and a meal offering. There's, there's flour and bread made, and those are placed on the altar. And then the evening time, they do the same thing again. And there's a morning lamb and an evening lamb, and that's what is the bookends, if you will, for all of the sacrificial service that would be on the altar for that day. That daily sacrifice is the one that is discontinued. That's the one that's stopped. That is the sign of the start of the Great Tribulation. The ashes of the red heifer is completely separate is done in a completely different place. The ashes of the red heifer are used for a other specific reason. Now, I'm, I'm also aware of some of these reports coming out of the land about the red heifer and what they're thinking about doing. And the red heifer has to be, I think, between one and two years old yes. before it is qualified as a heifer for that. And yes, there's been a lot of interest in this since they brought five of the cows yeah. over and so, yes, we're anticipating that uh, they're going to follow through and, and do that. But they only need to do that outside of Jerusalem, outside of the temple area, mm -hmm. to be able to, to complete that. And then, as I said, they'll gather the ash, and that's what we dispersed and used. And the priesthood, when they go in to do the day of the sacrifice, they have to be sprinkled with the ash of yeah. the red heifer, it's mixed in a water. They put a pinch of ash in the water. They take a hyssop branch and they dip it in the water and they sprinkle the priesthood. And that is a ceremonial cleansing from anything dead. So at that point, they're able to do the service of life. Okay. And so that's what the ash of the red heifer is for. This heifer that will be sacrificed will be the 10th in the history of Israel. Wow. The first was done by Moses and Aaron from the very beginning when the tabernacle was in the wilderness. So this will be the 10th in the history. These ashes last a long time. Mm -hmm. So it's a very important step, and it brings attention to the Temple Mount. It brings attention to qualifying the priesthood to do the daily sacrifice. 
But the abomination of desolation prophecy, the starting sign of the start of the Great Tribulation, is the daily sacrifice that shut down. So that's the distinction and the difference in the question being asked. I see. So you've also brought up something that I never thought of before, which is it, it would last a long time. Yes. The ashes of a whole cow. Yeah, if you have a great <laughs> amount of water and you just take a pinch. Yes. So... So it, let's say that this does happen. So they, they say, then they obviously have a place, a certain vessel that they store that ash in. Well, the ash actually gets distributed throughout the land in different okay. containers because it's used throughout the land by the people. Okay. And how that's all going to be done, we'll, we'll see how they sort that out and how they distribute that later. So they can hold on to it until an altar is built. That is correct. Okay. That's so correct. I had never and that's what they're this. doing. They're preparing it in advance before we have the altar service. I see. Okay. Well, thank you for that clarification. Sure. That is, was very interesting. Now we have Tammy. Tammy would like to ask about the, quote, once saved, always saved doctrine that's taught throughout many Christian churches. Mm -hmm. Some believe they only need to ask forgiveness once in their lives and then they can do whatever they want to, always asking forgiveness afterwards and, and maybe not repenting of the sin. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the formal name for that doctrine is called the doctrine of eternal security. Mm -hmm. And it's usually promoted to give new believers the assurance of salvation. You've called upon the Lord. Now, let's assure you that what the Lord has done for you is adequate, capable to render deliverance to you and salvation to you. The problem with this, taking it to the extent, oh, once saved, always saved, mm -hmm. is that scenario where you have a person who've accepted the Lord and suddenly turns back to the world mm -hmm. and turns away from the Lord. And all of a sudden, well, we're saying, well, you know, he was, once he was saved, he saved all the way. And I don't care if he does turn away from the Lord, blah, blah, blah. He's still saved. That's a real rub. Mm -hmm. And here's the reason why we got a problem with that. Because God clearly says he's a just God. Yes and that the guilty do not go unpunished. I mean, he clearly says this is his character. You're not gonna pull that stunt with the living God. Right. He's not putting up with it. And Yeshua spoke directly to this issue in Matthew chapter seven, where he said, not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord will be entering the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father and then he goes into citing very strong religious activity, casting out demons in my name, doing miracles in my name, doing many good works in my name. And he says, even they will not be part of the kingdom. And because he will say to them, I never knew you. I don't have a relationship with you. You're lawless. And lawless means you violate and transgress my commandments. I would remind everybody that in the great story of the Exodus from Egypt, we have a whole group of people who went through the Passover. They were all covered by the blood of the lamb. They left Egypt. They went through baptism. Paul equates crossing the Red Sea like baptism. They went in the world. They went to the mountain. They got the Torah. They got the covenant with God. How many of those people actually made it in the promised land? Only two. Yes. And it wasn't Moses and Aaron. Joshua it was Joshua and Caleb. and Caleb. Yes. They're the only two that entered the land. 
I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot get into the kingdom without faith. You have to have faith in God. The kind of faith that says, yes, I trust and believe the Lord, and yes, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to do what the Lord says, because it's word and deed. If your deeds don't match your words, your words are lies. If you say you believe the Lord, then you have to do what the Lord says. Yes. And the fact of the matter is, let's say that you're a believer, and you go out and you transgress the commandments of the Lord. You, you sin. At that moment, hey, Mr. Believer, let, let's, uh, let's have an honest conversation. You didn't believe the Lord then, did you? Right. Where was your faith then? <laughs> you didn't much, have much. Mm -hmm. And that is what the Lord says. Will I find faith when I return? Yes. And for us, I would I, I say the following with regard to this whole teaching. I said, there's no question that the salvation of the Lord, his arm is not short. He knows how to save. Yes. And you can be assured that his promise of salvation, forgiveness, deliverance, and so forth, it's solid. But don't test the Lord. Don't put him to the test on his determination of that. And that's the great lesson of the wilderness experience. Yes. They tested the Lord. They sure and did. you see the results. So I would say to you, in accordance with the scripture, I, I have no doubt in my mind that the Messiah is able to save anyone he wishes. Amen. He has the power. <laughs> However, don't test the Lord. Right. You learn to obey the Lord. Learn to walk before him uprightly. Do not put this thing to the test. Amen. And that, that leads me to think about the current hyper grace movement where, oh, we have grace. We can, we can do whatever we want because God's going to forgive us. But you just brought up a good point. He is just. He is just. He will call us to account. And, and we will give an account to the Lord. Yes. I would suggest, since you're going to have to give an account to the Lord, maybe you should Think about that you'd like to do that in a in a happy manner as opposed to oh my gosh manner. Yes. And it, it's it's simple wisdom here. This is not complicated. Yeah. Obey the Lord. If you love him, obey him. Amen. You know, and believe in him. Trust him. Amen to that. Well, Tammy, hopefully that clears that up for you. And boy, it would be a scary thing to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of things that well, you did that you shouldn't have done. <laughs> Which we every all one of us, it, I'm, I can just tell you now, every one of us is going to have to stand before the Lord, yes. and every one of us is going to have to give an account. And I guarantee it'll still be scary. Yes, indeed. But <laughs> but we believe that we'll have an advocate there for us in the Messiah, yes. saying to the Father, He He belongs to me. He trusted me. Yes, that's what I always that's put my faith in. For. Yes, Amen. All right. So here's our next question: What is the unpardonable sin? Some say it is speaking against the Holy Spirit. Others say it is sinning intentionally, knowing that they're sinning. Well, Yeshua brought this up, and he, he talked about how he could be rejected, but he talked about doing what you do against the Holy Spirit. That's not going to be forgiven. And everybody's trying to figure out, oh, I need to know about this so I can avoid it because mm -hmm. I don't want to do it. Let's talk about how God has been manifesting himself for a moment. Let's take the big macro view. God's relationship with mankind, he started off by showing that he's almighty God. He's the creator. He's the father. Mm -hmm. He's the father of all of us. Then he sent his son. He's savior. 
okay? Mm -hmm. he, he is um, deliverer for us. He pays yes. the price for us. But then he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now, when we get to the Holy Spirit, that's the one you don't want to mess up on, is basically mm -hmm. what I'm saying on. All the others, you can transgress God, you can, you know, deal with the issues of the Messiah, but th this one, you don't want to mess up on. And the reason is because what God has given us in the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God inside of us. Yes. Leading us, guiding us, comforting us, leading us into the truth and so forth. If you sin against the Holy Spirit, you are not sinning on the outward things that you did before. You're sinning against God in here. Yes. You are corrupting your soul mm. when you sin against the Spirit of God. When you have the leading of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit of God, and then you decide you're going to violate that. You're going to transgress that. You're going to go about... And by the way, there is such a thing as quenching the spirit. Yes. You have the ability, if you wish, to to like cast the spirit of God away. And when you do, he says, he said simply, "Don't do that one. Mm -hmm. That one is a different a different category. Yes. Of sin. Now, for the average person, if you're asking this question, mm -hmm. what is the unpardonable sin, and what about sin against the Holy Spirit? Your soul is already reflecting that you're trying to understand that so you don't violate it. Exactly. Which, by the way, is a good, healthy thing. That's an indicator that you're paying attention. Yes. It's the person who doesn't even ask that question who then sins against the Holy Spirit in that manner. Mm -hmm. That's a person that's in a path that's not leading toward eternal reward. It's leading toward eternal judgment. Yes. That's essentially what the Messiah was talking about. Wow. God is still just in yeah. all of his judgments. But just step back and see how God has expressed himself. You and I are benefactors of having received the Holy Spirit in us. Right. As, as a part of the regeneration, as a part of the work of the Messiah. That's very special. And in here, this is, this, you don't want to sin in here. No. You know, against the Lord. It's it's one thing to transgress out here. You can correct those things. This one is a different kind of category. Yeah. It's like you said, it's a whole nother level. It's a whole nother level. Right. And dismiss and basically you're rejecting God completely yeah. from the soul. Ooh, I can't even imagine it, that. It, it, it's that's the reason why he said it's it's un, you you're not gonna get pardoned for that one. No. Oh goodness. Okay. Well we have a question from Steve. Okay. Steve says he watched episode five of Revealing Revelation, and he's enjoying that series very much. He said, we search for the scripture verse that connects your statement, Monty, of two elders from each tribe of Israel who made the new moon ceremony announcement. Could you share the resource you used for that? They're, they're trying to study to, to right. understand this better. The debate goes on in there. They have a, a Bible study group. And he says, the debate goes on with references of 24 elders in First Chronicles and where King David designates the Levitical priest rotation in the tabernacle. So they're really trying to dig deeply on right. this. I have a particular book I want to recommend to you. It's a book written by a man by the name of Alfred Edersheim. He's the guy that wrote the book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. But he also wrote another book called The Life and Times of Jesus Messiah and the Temple Service. Ooh. And what he's done, he was a, a Jewish believer, became a Christian. 
he has gone into the Talmud, and in the Talmud, there are portions of the Talmud that document and describe what was the temple service in the days of the Second Temple, where a lot of the details you don't find in the Scripture, but it was well known uh, and common knowledge. And in his particular book, he goes into, and one of the things that his book in the temple service, he talks about the new moon service. Mm -hmm. He talks about what they did in the temple and how that worked and, and what were the things involved. And once you, and his sources came from Jewish sources, the, the documentation that was written from 250 to 450 AD, okay. the, the Talmud was written in that time. And what they're doing is documenting what used to happen in the temple back in Jerusalem in the second temple period so that the Jewish people would know about that. And it's a source, it's a reference source to what was the first century like, what, what happened in the temple service. It's an outstanding book. And by the way, he draws references to New Testament passages about certain things that are said and done in the New Testament and how it relates to what was the temple service and how things were done. Essentially, his book explains that they used to bring two elders from the different tribes into the temple and they would have, they were the guests of this, what was called a new moon feast oh. in the temple. Mm -hmm. Now, very important people go to this. The king would go to this, the high priest would go to this, uh, you know, the other working priests that were on duty, and two elders from the tribes, not Levites, two elders from tribes. And the honor was given to the two elders of the tribes to make the declaration to the nation. It wasn't a duty of the priests, it wasn't the job of the king, it was the elders of the tribes that would do this. And his book goes into a beautiful explanation about how this used to be structured and set up and was done. And when you get to Revelation and you see the 24 elders, you see the elders of the tribes of Israel mm -hmm. being pictured there as around the altar because they were the ones who had that authority. That's the reason why God established them as tribes, established the elders of the tribe. Moses worked with the elders of the tribes you can't call anything the truth without the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's the reason why you had to have two. 24 is two from each tribe. And in his book, he elaborates on more that it's Talmudic information written by the rabbis to explain what was the knowledge, what were the things that were done in the temple, mm -hmm. around the altar service, and so forth. And with that information, then it helps us to understand a lot of New Testament passages. What are they referencing? What are they talking about? There's a lot, for example, when, you know, Melchizedek, mm -hmm. you know, in the book of Hebrews, yes. you know, he had no genealogy, blah, blah, blah. And so where's all that information coming? Well, that was the thinking and the understanding that comes from the temple service. That comes, that was what the thinking was in the, in the first century when Yeshua came and when the apostles were operating, that, that's what they believed and thought was correct. And so we're, lots of information about the background. So when you want to do a deep study and you want to go back to what are all the sources, help me to understand the whole temple service, what was mm -hmm. the common thinking of the average man, what were they expecting when, the, when they thought the Messiah would come, all of those kinds of things. What was common daily life? What did you do when you went to the temple? I mean, what, right. what was the routine? Those, that documentation that Eric Scheim has done is just a real masterpiece of work.
pulling together from hundreds of sources, putting it together for believers, uh, Christians, us, to understand yes. what were those common things that were known that the New Testament makes reference to. Right. And there's a lot of those throughout the New Testament that people, we forget that it's might be, it might not be describing it in the, in the scriptures because they all knew that. They were familiar right. it with it. It was common story. knowledge. It was common knowledge. That's the reason why you don't hear the New Testament emphasizing, oh, you should keep Sabbath. Everybody kept Sabbath that time. You know, right. We don't need to tell people to keep Sabbath. Everybody did it. Mm-hmm. And it's only later that we have an issue and that we're trying to interpret the scriptures based on us and our culture and our present day. No, 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 no. That scripture was written at, at that time with a certain understanding and thinking in that day. That's yes. part of our deep study. Let's go back and get the context right. Let's get the setting correct. Then we can understand what is being said. Now we'll correlate it to us today. Right. Well, that is a perfect answer. I hope oh, that I, helps your group. It, it, it's yes, not sir. a perfect answer, but it's the answer Monty has given. <laughs> well, I think it definitely Thank will help. Thank you for help. the compliment. It's a perfect answer, <laughs> I, ladies and gentlemen. I think that that will help their study group tremendously, especially with the reference of the book. And we'll put that information up. Monty, you're not going to believe this, but we are out of time. Okay. I can't believe it went so fast today. I thought we had another five minutes left. Well, we'll have to do another program. We'll have to do another program. Thank you for joining us today. And we hope that you will like, comment, and share this program with your friends and on social media. And Monty, before we go, can you close us in prayer? Father, thank you again for today. Thank you for the opportunity to offer answers to quick questions and lord i'm excited and encouraged that the brethren are asking the question because that's how we learn so by your spirit lord quicken unto the understanding and proper understanding to all of us and we ask all of this in yeshua's name amen amen all right we'll see you next week on good questions real answers